Welcome to the Inner Huddle, the podcast for parents and coaches to help children fulfill their potential both on and off the pitch. Hello and welcome along to episode three, season two of the Inner Huddle, the podcast for parents and coaches to help children fulfill their potential both on and off the pitch. I'm joined in the studio with Jeff Bonner from Wessex Futsal Club and Betsy Tuffery from Seed Psychology. And this episode is brought to you from Dimensions Carpentry and Construction, a friendly family-run business for turnkey refurb projects. I still haven't Googled what turnkey means, but I suppose we better have, not we, Jeff? Yeah, at some point that would be a good idea, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, so we know what we're talking about. But... um. Yeah. Still no further forward of your garden? No, not really. No. So we need to find out what turnkey is, don't we, to so see if we can get him in to give you a hand. Yeah, exactly that. Anyway, we digress already. How are you doing, guys? All good. How are you, Pez? Yeah, not so good bad. Good to see you looking tanned since yeah, last well, time I saw you. That's because I now have to work a lot outdoors, coaching in the sunshine, since a uh, couple of coaches down. So I'm back doing after school clubs and things. And nice. Yeah, so there are some tan lights and <laughs> t-shirts. Got a white t-shirt. I have, I've got a white t-shirt <laughs> underneath. Um, how's things, Jeff? Yeah, I've got the tan lines and sock marks as well. Um, but you always did coach for a living. Yeah. I've just been dragged back into it. But I'm enjoying it, to be honest. It's nice to touch base, especially at the after school clubs. It's nice. I'm to working have... with you again, yeah, Jeff. It's, it's nice we've reconnected a little bit more, yeah. haven't we, and done a bit more together. Like, There's lots more to moan about. Like the old days, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. And how's things with you, Betsy? All, all well. All very good. Busy? Uh, busy. Not so much outside working. No. Uh, the occasional cricket match gets me outdoors. Oh. But otherwise, yeah, been been stuck in the office a lot. Plugging uh-huh. away. We need to see if we can get you some outdoor office space yes. for your meetings. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Yes. Right. So, as always, we have got 10 questions in front of us. Um, sent in from parents and coaches from, I'll say it again, Jeff, all over the world because it makes it sound fantastic. In fact, one is from one of our overseas listeners, which would be a little bit different. Um, and we'll try and get through them all. I think in the last couple of episodes we've managed to do all 10. Um, we'll try to do it again. But if I keep waffling, maybe not. So shall we crack on with question number one, which is a particularly good one. I heard you mention that it's not a good idea to pay for goals. I've stopped doing it, but my son's granddad and sometimes my wife still continue to try to motivate my son in this way. Please can you explain in a bit more detail why it's not a good idea? Should I come to you first, Jeff? Yeah, you can do. I've made some notes for the first time in my life. so. Mm. Um, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> no. We'll probably be passing over to Betsy very quickly because yeah. this is... Right up your street, Betsy, isn't it? Um, I've just written down extrinsic reward. Um, How's that going to change behaviours? And what type of person do you want to bring up? Um, Which might be very deep, but... Gone right in there, too. Straight in. Straight in. You've come come up with some key words now for Betsy to pick the bones out, haven't you? That's the plan, yeah. Enjoy. Was that? Was that? <laughs> that's my note. That's your handover. <laughs> yeah. okay. I prefer you about notes, Jeff. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Me too. Well, I think uh, you are right, though. 
um, extrinsic reward. So I want to probably pick up on something that Pez, you said in episode one, mm-hmm. um, when we were talking about outcome and process. And that's that would be, I think, the main reason to wrap your head around as a parent as to why it might be a problem to try and motivate in that way is you're really rewarding the outcome of a goal mm-hmm. rather than... And a goal doesn't necessarily mean good or bad performance. It doesn't actually give us much of an idea about what's happened. And, and that's just talking about performance. That's not even going anywhere near enjoyment and pleasure and passion for playing. Yeah. Um, and I think it, it it maybe makes a connection for the child of, you know, my parents or my family are only proud of me or reward me when I score. Cool. And actually that's not all that football is is it in any position you might be a striker and actually contribute amazingly well to a game and not score and therefore you don't get your reward so I think that's probably the simplest way I can put it you're not rewarding the process and the the effort um you're rewarding an outcome yeah I've put it's um it's not a measure of how well they've played Mm. so it might be a um a shortcut of some sort for a a nice social media post or for family to feel good about it yeah. or worth the travel, whatever motivators or is motivating the motivator, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. You know, it might be a shortcut to that. I think a lot of parents think that it's goals that get children noticed. Mm-hmm. So in a very competitive environment now of elite leagues and pro academies and goodness knows what else, I think parents think, oh, if you need to score goals to be noticed because um, that's what people talk about and then you get your name out there, etc., yeah. etc. Et um, but like I say, it's not a measure of how well they've played. Um, but I think a lot of parents think that it is mm. um, because it is measurable. The only two measurable things really um, are the score and whether you won or lost or, or drew the game. Mm-hmm. Um and it, the rest is opinion and a bit subjective. Someone might think you've had a great game, other one might not have done. Yeah. But the only thing that is measurable is if that child stuck the ball in the back of the net. So mm. let's try and hurry that process along by paying five or whatever it might be per goal. Um, I don't like it. I've never liked it, and it always happens. Even in my teams, when I banned it, it happens on the sly. Um, I think ultimately, what you're teaching then is that. You know, good behavior. If you think about it really simplistically, from a child, if you interviewed the child, the child would maybe say, "Oh, well, you know, I didn't, I didn't get anything for that. That was, I didn't do well, or that wasn't good because I didn't score." Yeah. Um, and that's what you're reinforcing. And then you've, you've, you're in the danger of maybe a child getting older, and thinking that that is still, that is still the only way that they gain success, recognition, reward, whatever it is. So it's, it's creates a bigger problem yeah and And it could well be that you've played brilliantly and not scored Mm -hmm. and you might have been rubbish on another day and scored a hat trick exactly and then you're rewarding poor poor performance just because the outcome was three goals yeah and you get you know you start um developing children that are greedy uh, affects their decision making so if they're on 20 quid for a hat trick and you know there's someone in a better position then they're more likely to shoot from Anyway, I mean, I've seen it when I ran a team. You could spot the kids who are on bonuses, should we call them? They're, they'd shoot from everywhere. They wouldn't even look up. Uh, and it's, it's very frustrating at times. Um, and you're you know, developing children that think that it's only goals that are important. 
Um, and like you said, I've seen children come off the pitch having had a great game, but haven't scored. You know, you can score a hat trick against a, a team when you've won ten nil and they're happy, and yet mm. a nil nil or a, a one nil against the toughest team around, and you haven't scored, you can come off feeling very disappointed because you're not getting your money or your Facebook posts or or praise and credit from whoever's brought you along I guess cool I did get a quote from my book here available soon Um, I put in the book um, external sources of motivation can impact the very short term but the negative effects can last a lifetime Um, that was copied straight from the book Jeff it's a great quote Fair play. Which we go, I go into that a little bit more, and also we had one that marked their child out of ten every week, and um, so I wrote a bit of a chapter on that as well, along the very similar lines. Mm. Um, I mean, where do you go after you've marked your child, given him a ten out of a ten one week? It's all downhill from there, isn't it? So, but we won't digress into that one. But it's all very, very similar. Just on it though, um, it's I've, I've stopped doing it. But my son's granddad and sometimes my wife still continue to motivate my son this way. Ah, yes. So, personally, I, if granddad's still doing it, if you could almost make a thing about it with the child, couldn't you say, well, granddad doesn't know any better because granddad's yeah. old or something like that. But their partner, it's, that's something, it's, I don't want to cause an argument between whoever sent this message well, in. I'm going to write notes here, Jeff, because... Um... My lad's grand still does <laughs> offer him rewards for goals. See, so yeah, I'm just trying to picture myself when I was younger. If, if mum and dad had explained to me, granddad does this because granddad likes doing it, but yeah. we don't really value it, I'd probably understand that. Um, but That's a good point. It's a mixed message if it's coming from both parents, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think you can getting deep into the subject. You can do certain rewards for effort. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to develop a growth mindset, um, but you still got to be very, very careful with it because it's still not an intrinsic motivator. But I can't see the harm in saying you were so brilliant today, you did everything right. Um, let's get McDonald's on the way home, or whatever it might be, for all your effort and hard work over the season. That type of thing, not every week, mm-hmm. um, but occasionally. I think there's nothing wrong with that, but. Your child could turn up at a game every week knowing, oh, if I score this amount of goals today, I can get this toy or game or whatever it might be on the way home. I think you're on real dodgy ground. It becomes about that and not about the game or yeah. development or enjoyment. Yeah, it's a it's a dangerous no, sco- Scoring a goal and helping your team should be reward enough for anybody, mm-hmm. especially a child. That needs to be a quote in the book, Pez. I think it might have been. I think I might have just <laughs> remembered it and plucked it straight off the page. But if it's not, we'll uh, we'll get it in there. Right, Jeff, do you want to ask number two? Yeah, question number two. What are your thoughts on clubs holding trials? My son is seven years old and I'm wary of taking him to a club. Trials, as it sounds, quite daunting. Mm, I'm really looking forward to hearing... Betsy's opinion on teams that hold trials Mm. every year because I have quite strong opinions on it oh so we could be having an argument here yeah it could be the first one yeah well I I actually I I think about it when I read this question I thought about it 
in terms of like schools and exams. Yeah. Like, you don't want to put kids through exams all the time, unnecessarily, but it is useful to put them in that environment of that bit of pressure, that bit of different context, because they will experience that mm-hmm. at some stage. So I don't think necessarily, my first thought is clubs holding trials isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world because it it maybe creates a context that the child will have to experience at some point. However, seven years old is pretty young mm-hmm. to be experiencing essentially like selection or deselection. So that would be my worry about how, how are these trials actually carried out? Is it a case of like you're in, you're out? Is there feedback? I'd probably be more worried about how that side of things is done, to be honest. Yeah, I really like the point about helping it to build resilience. Yeah. So sort of dipping your toe into pressure environments to help long-term resilience build in. Mm. That's great. And again, there's not really much context here, is there, with what level they're at, the, the trials, and like you say, if there's any feedback or how these things are approached. Yeah. Um, my first note was I'm not a fan. Mm-hmm. You know that already, don't you, Jeff? Um, I always think with trials, you know, what are they looking for? Are they looking for players that are going to help improve their team for a, you know, an adult to win a game of football at the weekend, especially at this age, mm. you know? Um, or are they looking for players with potential that they think that they can help improve? Um, so without knowing that, it's quite difficult. I'm sure there's more out there with adults just wanting to get the best players around so that they can win a game um, and attract more players and so on and so forth rather than people looking for players with potential because they want wins here and now. Um, And if you've got a child that's seven who's got all the potential in the world and keeps going out to trials and getting rejected because at this moment in time, this snapshot of time, they're not going to help a manager win a game because they might be small or not as well developed as some of the other players or a younger one in their year going into biobanding and things like that which we could touch on at some point um i think it can be quite confusing as well because it might be and this this would happen at any age probably but it might be that a club or a team are looking for a specific position or a player with really specific attributes maybe not at this age i'm not sure but then then that can be confusing for the child of like oh i didn't get in so i'm not good enough like they'll see that at that age that would be quite black and white I didn't get in, so that's failure, or I'm not good enough, rather than actually, you might be plenty good enough, it's just they didn't want a winger, they wanted yeah. a, a goalie, or something like that, so I think it can, it can be quite confusing for the child. So the key would be very, very, very good feedback, mm. which possibly grassroots managers aren't trained to do, or yeah. inclined to do, maybe, so I think it's dodgy ground. We always say, don't we, Jeff? try and get a group of players together that are friends or whatever wherever they come from at a very young age and stick with them all the way through mm. um, I think I said on the last podcast and I did an after school club that two children were missing because they were attending trials mm. for the club that they're already playing at I mean I don't get that mm-hmm. that pressure of you know if you're imagine it Jeff you've played for a team for one two three seasons and suddenly you're trialling for your place again um, you know risking losing your friendship group and you know what it's like these kids they get so emotionally invested in their club and their team and their friendship group that just that pressure I think is too much I think if you're sorry no you carry on I was just going to say I think probably if if you're whoever's asking this question if you're 
or anyone that's listening, if you are going to do that or that's just the setup of the club you're involved in or the team you're involved in, probably the advice I'd give is to try your best to frame up the experience before it happens, especially if you can't guarantee what kind of feedback is going to be given by a coach, if any. So maybe try and frame up, you know, this isn't this isn't a success or failure black and white situation. However best to describe that to your child, depending on age and um, things like that, is maybe try and frame it up before if you are if you are going to take them to a trial or that's the process that that is in place where they are. Um, then maybe try and have a conversation around that before it happens, um, just so mm. that the child can maybe get their head round. Okay, well if I don't get in, it's not the end of the world. Yeah, I think that's very very important, and I I think. There was a phase where clubs stopped using the word trials, didn't they? I can't remember what they were yeah, calling them. Open training sessions. They oh, yeah. Probably still do. Holding open well, no, training I've, sessions. I've seen more recently trials. The word trials okay. being used more and more often again. And I prefer the open, whatever you just said, open, open training, training sessions. Yeah. Same thing, but again, it's it's just um, packaged up a little bit differently. The more I think about it, the more horrendous it is actually. The, seven and eight year old being trialing for their home place and being told that they're not good enough at that age so um i don't know what the answer is if everybody's holding trials at some point you're gonna have to go to them but take your advice betsy and package it up nicely that it's not the be all and end all um i am i googled what is a trial oh okay the first one that comes up is a formal examination of evidence in front of a jury with a judge Oh, wow. um, so that one's not very appropriate for what we're talking about. <laughs> well, although you could argue that is kind it's of what kind of it is, might is, feel like. Yeah, exactly that um, to, to a young child who's seven. Um, the second one is a test of performance, qualities or suitability of someone or something. So that one's more appropriate for what we're talking about, probably. Um, so and then I just wondered who's on trial. So is it the kids that are on trial or could the parents frame it as Betsy said maybe we're going to trial this club to see if it's a good fit for uh, you I like that Jeff for your child um, and then maybe even ask the coaches so okay what's the outcome if we don't get in or we do get in and if we don't get in how are you going to help my child to get into next year's trial or open training mm-hmm. session um, and if the coach hasn't got any anything to back up what they're going to do right. to help after that and the after process then it's probably not worth going to trial for them because if they do get in how are they going to help your child anyway if they've got no way of developing your child yeah i mean that's all right most managers stand there watch a game of football and think oh he's quick oh he could play on the wing or he's banged in three goals yeah then he might help my team win at the weekend and then they're likely to be in yeah i don't think you can learn a lot from trials about a child's potential you only really learn about a child's potential by watching them in training and that's probably over the course of at least five or six weeks over the four and then you can really see what a child's potential is but unfortunately it's the seems to be the system doesn't it i did hold trials once a couple of times but everyone i invited in i knew i wanted already mm-hmm. so i invited them in and they were all going to get in um so actually it was like you said it was more what I was doing was on trial for them than the other way around. Yeah. Cool. Right. I'm going to ask this one because um, I think this is the trickiest one of all, but I'm looking forward to how Jeff handles it. (laughs) 
Um, I'm a handball coach in Copenhagen, Denmark, and I love your show. Even though handball is a totally different game, there are so many things you talk about that can be transferred. Do you have any advice for a coach on how to learn the tactics of football, or in this case handball, um, and how to handle topics where you lack some insights? And this is from Simon. And firstly, Simon, thank you for listening in uh, Copenhagen, Denmark. That's um, good news, isn't it? That we're getting a bit of reach out there. Um, Jeff, a reason I think you're going to add some value to this is you're a high-performance coach, obviously, um, and there's quite a few similarities from handball to futsal. Yeah. I think, maybe than just the size of the goals, possibly. I'm just trying to reread this question. So they're asking... Basically, I think it's um, Simon saying that he... Um, so they do. He lacks do... knowledge in certain areas of the game. They want to do football. No, um, it's not about football. He wants the advice to like a crossover for handball, but that can be used as football. How am I going to explain this? So he is saying he lacks um, certain knowledge in certain areas. He'd like to do more. I think it was defensive work, but he lacks knowledge. Um, have you got any advice of how he can um, handle topics? That he's coaching that he might not uh, be that confident i think i misread this this mm. question and i thought it was a question of could they get football going in denmark <laughs> and i, was I like, think they've already got quite a good <laughs> football well no <laughs> like to start a, a team sorry I, I don't know how i'd misread that so badly no so um, let's rephrase it as just football then how can a coach um that struggles in a certain area so it might be um you're an attacking player jeff and you're now a coach and yeah. you've got to do some defensive um, topics as part of the, the season's training. How are you going to handle that where your knowledge is slightly lacking? I'm going to assume if it's a got handball court and handball goals and and all these things with it, there probably is a futsal club that's operating out of the same sports hall. So it might yeah. be a, a chance to go and watch some top level futsal coaching happening in there. And I'm sure there'll be loads of transferable things from whether it's the attacking side of the game or the defensive side of the game. Um, and then YouTube is a great tool for going on mm -hmm. and, and finding things. You can find so many different ideas and things that you might be able to use that fits with your team. There might be loads of stuff that doesn't fit with the group you're working with. Um, but that would be my advice is to get out there and research it, watch other coaches working. Yeah, I've written down, don't be afraid to experiment. But before you do that, um, communicate really well with your players and um, parents, I presume, and it's children. I think he did say in his mess, original message, actually, I think it is children. Um, under 13s, I think. Um, so, yeah, don't be afraid to experiment in your training. Um, but, like I say, communicate well with the parents of what you're trying to achieve. Um, and, uh, yeah, good luck with that. Um, and, of course, yeah... YouTube, online resources. And I also put, maybe try and find yourself a mentor um, from another club maybe, um, or another sport. Quite often the players have got a lot of the answers. So if you put on a scenario in a game situation and ask them questions, how are you gonna deal with this? They'll come up with some amazing stuff as well. So. Yeah, and then you'll be surprised how much you already know and can kind of go with it. Yeah. Betsy, we kind of took over on that one. No, well, rightly so. Um, I think what I've written down is, um, I think 
probably more of a characteristic of the coach to just have like real humility in those situations and know that you don't know everything and that you can learn I think like you said from maybe going and seeking out a mentor and I also wrote down what Jeff touched on there of actually how can you collaborate with the players or learn from the players even if it is a youth team um there's a there's a phrase that my my partner who's a football coach um uses which is basically assume assume that everyone around you knows something that you don't because that is true I like that um so you know tap into someone else's knowledge or ideas um or even setting something up you know explaining a principle a tactical principle and then maybe asking players to come up with a an exercise that allows them to practice that so yeah I think it's a nice question actually Um, yes and there is a lot of a lot of the stuff that we speak about on this podcast is is probably very much transferable isn't it to any sport or any context especially from your side of things Mm. the psychology can be transferred from sport to sport and across into life as well which is it's why you're here betsy Adding such wonderful value. I mean, I've obviously got a much easier solution to this. Have you ever been to Copenhagen before, (laughs) Jeff? I think that is in my notes. (laughs) Yeah. We're quite happy to come out. If you want us to come over, uh, Simon, and uh, have a visit, we could be your mentors. We'll deliver some futsal sessions on a handball court and see what transfers. One question from abroad, and we're already trying to get older. (laughs) Can you believe it? I did see we've got some following in places like Qatar as well. Obviously, America. So, yeah, keep the invites coming in. It'd be fantastic. <laughs> right, question number four. Do you want to ask it? We won't ask Betsy to ask yeah. one because she's our, you know, star. <laughs> question number four. Yeah. How much of a young footballer's journey, and this is foundation and early youth development phase, should be player-led and how much should be parent-led and how much does this relationship change with age? Hmm, I think this one was from one of your followers wasn't it, it came into it you was. so should we f- bat it straight over to betsy <laughs> jeff happily nicely done um yeah i i actually think this is a really interesting question i know the person who sent this in um and i think there's the person that's asked the question has a really good awareness of actually what what should i allow my child to do in terms of decision making you know which team he maybe would like to play for etc etc and actually what what is better decided by the parent i think the parent struggles with that mm-hmm. in terms of knowing what what is the best thing to do do i dictate what's happening here when do i let go i, I think that's a really difficult difficult question to i, I actually don't know yeah. how i'd go about answering this very nuanced as well each situation can't really be too general with it yeah um, i think i think consideration of player take an example of um you know the the player maybe wants to change teams mm-hmm. it's like understanding maybe reasons for that rather than going straight in as the parent and going no you're not doing that because i'm gonna dictate where you are you're still young you're still in that early stage of your journey um or do you let the player decide mm. I, it's really difficult i don't i don't know as a coach yeah. or, or a parent whether you've kind of experienced that going that working well I've I've experienced it both as as a parent and a coach um and like you say it is it is very difficult and sometimes um especially with my lad 
I've let him still make his choice even if I think it's the wrong one. From what age though? Um, would you say? Still ongoing. So he's what's he now going into under fourteens, isn't he, Jeff? Because he's yeah. with you at Wessex. So he's getting into that teenager phase where sometimes he's madly into his football and futsal, and sometimes he's not bothered. Um, and I don't want to force anything on him. But yeah, this is very tricky because it says about um, how does this relationship change of age? I mean, I'd love to say everything should be player-led right from start to finish, even if you think you might know best. And your job as a parent is really just to facilitate your child's own journey and adventure. That's how I like to package it up. Yeah, um, Without any specific questions on um, specific scenarios, I should say. It's very generalised, isn't it? Yeah. So I'll come back with a generalised answer like that. I think, so I I actually wrote, um, I wrote a chapter on kind of a similar topic where um, a a parent had contacted me to work with their child who I think he probably was about 13, 14 maybe at the time. Um, And the parents very much wanted him to carry on playing football at a decent level. And the the child wasn't really showing much interest much engagement so i i entered into like consultancy with this with this player and really what we figured out over time was that he genuinely really didn't want to play football anymore it wasn't a laziness thing mm-hmm. he was actually more interested in other sports other other interests outside of sport as well and part of that relationship was actually figuring out is this really what you want to do anymore? And sometimes that's the answer that parents don't want. Yeah. So I think there's there's such a delicate balance between if you go player-led, from a parent's point of view, there might be times where your, your son or your daughter doesn't want to go training or doesn't want to play anymore, and that might be for a number of reasons. And how do you know as a parent whether that's, okay, the right thing is for them to maybe step out of that because they're not enjoying it or how much of it is well, they would rather sit at home and play on their computer yeah. and I don't really want that either. That's where the nuance them. comes into it, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's tough. I've seen it a few times um, when players of ours have gone on to pro clubs and then I've you know, spoken to the parents a little bit further down the line to find out how they're getting on and they've said they're really not enjoying it. And you kind of say, well, why are they still there then? And mm. it can be the child wants to keep going even though they're not enjoying it because it's become part of their identity, which is also very dangerous. So at school, they're the, the pro player and they get a lot of praise and, mm-hmm. like I say, their identity becomes entwined with it. So they want to stay. And same with the parents. I've seen the parents who every week off to West Ham today off to Spurs today oh great result against Chelsea boys scored against Man United this week and then it becomes part of the family's identity yeah um, and then what you can have is an unhappy child who doesn't want to be a football mm. there because he's too scared to leave for his own in reasons and the parents want them to stay for their own reasons mm. and I'm not sure that always works out but it's not very good for a child's development mm-hmm. um, mentally or as part of the game either. Um, so that's a tricky one. But actually, it happens quite a lot. And you've got to be sure that it's not just a plateau. You know, this 
just a phase they're going through. Exactly. So again, um, good lines of communication there. Um, we hear it a lot, don't we, Jeff, with grassroots football dads, particularly dads. Um, oh, we always let our child choose what they want to do. You think, well, only because you're the one that's put the options in front of them most of the time. Um, when you pick the bones out of it, it's still normally the parents that have made the decision where their child plays football. Yeah, that's the line we hear a lot, isn't it? And then yeah. we start wondering if they are really making those decisions, how much is it being loaded questions and leading questions from the parents that have helped yeah. them to come to the same conclusion that the parent wanted the whole way through when they move into a new team where they don't know as many people from a team where all their mates are still playing in and yeah. they've been really happy up until then. Well, you, you don't get developing. many seven-year-olds, going back to question number two, that come home and say, I've seen this advert for trials on social media or in the paper. I really want to go. So it's normally the parents that will have seen these things and think, oh, this might be good for mm. my child and then put it to them. I think it's figuring out like a bit of a filter because you could, you could say you could be player-led, but if you're... And if we're talking about just being child-led in general, you know, what if your child wakes up and they don't they don't want to go to school or they don't want to have cereal for yeah. breakfast? Like, how 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 person-led, how child-led do you go without actually going? No, I might know best in this situation, and I think that that can be difficult because some parents will just go straight to that and say, "Well, I do know best, and I will tell you what yeah. we're doing here." But and and some parents will try not to do that because that seems like a maybe a bit too powerful a thing to do but that that might be what's needed or I'd, I'd probably say in in this situation like time and communication would be really important mm -hmm. so maybe try and try and make sure as best you can and you'll never be able to guarantee it that it isn't just a phase of um you know my my son or my daughter wants to do this on their footballing journey i'm just going to give it a bit of time where they are if it's not a detrimental situation you know, if they're really yeah. upset going to training all the time or something like that then then you'd probably want to do something about it sooner but if it's a case of oh, i think i want to change teams okay let's think about this over a few weeks and see how you feel yeah. and maybe try and eliminate that is it just a phase and there's a commitment thing as well which is very important characteristic to help develop yeah so you don't want a child just willy-nilly changing teams all the time mm. say that maybe stick the season out and review it in the summer and yeah and and go again um we've seen this argument a few times jeff haven't we with particularly with pro clubs where some people are anti <coughs> children going to pro clubs because of the pressure that's that's on them but you can flip it and with this that you know a child's also got the right to have dreams and ambitions so if you thinking oh it's a, a big deal taking them to these places and it might be detrimental again where do a parent know best? Yeah, because they can also be like hugely beneficial environments. Yes. Where your child will thrive and experience things, you know, not just football, that are really important for character development as well. So it's, I think there's no, there's no really wrong decision if you're not causing your child like distress mm -hmm. and unhappiness in making them do something they didn't want to do. You know, that you won't know what the best thing is to do. No one will know. You've just got to go with your, your best best educated decision and, and maybe collaborate with your child on that and then adapt and adjust depending on what happens from there. 
God, such a seemingly simple, small question, wasn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. A long answer, and we could probably go further and further with that one. But yeah, really, really difficult. So whoever sent it in to you, Betsy, thank you. But go easy on us next time. Cheers. <laughs> um, question number five. Is it my turn, Jeff? Yeah. Okay. On a previous show, I heard you talk about social media and how it's not always a good thing to be posting about our children's football. I regularly post when my boy has scored or his team has won and I've not noticed anything detrimental yet. Can you please discuss the positives and negatives of regularly posting? I imagine this is someone who's heard that and probably said to hubby, stop posting so much because as Jeff and Betsy said, it's not a good good (laughs) thing to do and they've got the up with it a little bit and um, want to know why. So um, yeah, over to you, Jeff. Um, not noticed anything yet. It's like expecting it. I know I shouldn't eat a fried breakfast every day, but and I won't notice it yet. And it'll be a few months down the line when I do, wouldn't it? Um, yeah. Well, question number five. This isn't it. Yes. Um, social media. Who's it for? Um, and how's that going to impact? So you quite could have quite easily argue that a child's not on social media, so they're not going to see it. Well, anyway. they shouldn't be until they're. Um, about 13 I think the recommended isn't it for Facebook and Instagram yeah, I, I've things. got no idea I think actually, it is, yeah. if I'm being honest um, yeah. so if they're not seeing it why would it be a problem but then when aunties and uncles and grandparents are coming around patting them on the back because they've seen on Facebook that they've scored the 38th it, goal of the season it goes back to paying you know similar type of conversation as paying for goals doesn't it It's who's it really for and how's it really going to benefit yeah, I've written down, who are you doing it for? You know, it's, if if your child's seven, eight, nine and not on social media, then, you know, pretty much what's the point? You're just trying to show off a little bit, which causes more of a problem because then other parents have a fear of missing out or they're comparing their child to the posts that they see. And I've seen it a lot. Um, say a child's a defender and all the posts are about goals all weekend. Um, I've seen parents want their child to play further forward so that they can get a little bit more of the glory. I mean, it can it can have a massive impact without even realising it. Um, and parents can get addicted to the dopamine hit that you get. So you, you put it on, Tiny Tim again has scored a hat-trick at the weekend, his 38th goal of the season, and then you get... 52 likes you get the dopamine addiction and then you want that again the next weekend and sadly your kids had a poor game and not scored and you're disappointed with the whole day and the whole process um so there's there's quite a bit to it but we'll get our experts opinion now betsy yeah i've i've probably got quite a regimented answer to this okay cool so i think firstly in fairness sometimes a parent will i think there's a few reasons why you'd want to do this firstly it might be because you want to document it yeah so my advice if that's the case would be document it another way so if, if you're documenting it so that it pops up on your oh you know a year ago yeah you know we went to west ham and it was a great day out and my son scored a hat trick then do it another way find maybe a more novel way 
as a family to document that. I think social mm-hmm. media can sometimes become old-fashioned scrapbook. Of, yeah, yeah, we we store. That's where we store all our memories in the public yeah. eye, isn't it? That I think that happens. Um, so, in fairness, I think if that's your reason, um, maybe think of another way to do that. I think it is also a way that you know parents will demonstrate their pride to their friendship yeah. group or the wider family group. Again, I would encourage that to happen a different way. How can you show your proud of your child to your child rather than to your social media following. Um, And then I suppose touching on what Jeff said, the, you know, Auntie Janice might come round and it's the first thing that she says. And then that reinforces to the child, like, well, that's what what I am, isn't it? That's what people know me for and notice about. Exactly. If I'm being brutal and I kind of pick pick things out of this question I regularly post when my boy has scored so that is going back to that extrinsic that is just like a financial reward I yeah. post when he has scored because that is the good thing that's happened today mm-hmm. or his team has won so d- does that mean if he doesn't score or the team hasn't won there's no social media post so it, as your child does become aware of those postings what message is that sending that, you know, it's not worthy of a post if I didn't score or we didn't win. I know. So that's a that's that's a dangerous thing very to say. Dangerous. And I think um, the I've not noticed anything detrimental yet. If I'm being a bit flippant, I'd like I don't know what you'd expect to notice. As in, if you you're posting that, but you've not noticed it have any effect on your child. Like some of these things don't actually come out as an effect until much older. When like adulthood, some yeah, of it, yeah, exactly, and it can be it can be a bit of a delayed response. That there probably wouldn't be any initial response. It's that repeated behaviour time after time, which reinforces to the child, you know, this is where I get, re- you know, my plaudits. Mm-hmm. Basically, this is where I get, this is where people are proud of me, and and then that when they do move on into maybe going into other football teams or other endeavours in life, you know, if that doesn't get posted about on social media, that means yeah. something. And so the... the yeah, if you're going to do it, you're going to have to post about a lot of other stuff as well. Otherwise, the child's going to think, I only get yeah. um, praise, love even, which is getting really deep, but can mm. happen. I'm only experiencing love from my parent when I've achieved something. Yeah, and it's indirect. You know, yeah. how about going and telling your child? Yeah. You know, if I posted, if I went home today and posted... And, you know, I might well even do this. I really enjoyed my podcast with Pez and Jeff, but I never speak to you. Yeah. If I picked up the phone to you and said, Pez, I really enjoyed that today. Thanks very much for inviting me. That would probably mean a great deal more to you. Yeah. Unless I just satisfy your ego by posting it on social media. Well, well let's give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> let's try it, Jeff. Try so yeah. I, I think if I'm to sum up... I don't think there are many positives to doing it. No, the negatives way outweigh the yeah. the, the, the positives. I, I write here exactly that, to tell them directly, loads of exclamation marks. Must be loads of kids out there that never know how proud that their parents are of them because mm-hmm. they've put it on social media and they've not seen it. And just tell them directly. And if you're doing it so that granny and auntie and stuff, ring them up. Or put it in a, a a family WhatsApp group or something like that. You don't need to to be splashing all that. And occasionally, we've all done it. I, I've done it with my own lad. Just occasionally, you're bursting with pride. Get it out there, mm-hmm. but do it in the right way. Make sure it's nicely worded, 
um, and that your child's aware of it, that you're proud of it. And always, we talked about it the other week about including the backstory. So mm-hmm. if you're going to put scored a hat trick or whatever it might be today, put something about the effort it took to achieve that. Mm-hmm. So I'm so proud of Tiny Tim because he's been doing extra training, he's been trying really hard, he's been practicing in the garden with his left foot and it's all paid off and then you are enforcing a positive behavior um to back up your proud post equally obviously i've i've picked up on that i regularly post when my boy has scored or a team has won like if you are resistant to not doing it you are resistant to stopping this and you do actually want to continue to post maybe change that pattern of perhaps your son showed loads of resilience in a game but the team lasted and he didn't score. Like actually, yeah. maybe post about that. If you're going to insist on posting, maybe post about that so that the connection that your son will eventually make or other people make is that it isn't all about goals and winning. Like there's other attributes that you're proud of, that persistence, that resilience. Um, and, and like you say, some of the backstory of, you know, my son's been working really hard and really is enjoying this season. Yeah. Bam, here's a picture. Lovely jubbly. I actually saw and I think I sent it to you on Sunday. We occasionally, or like a lot, screenshot these social media things and send them to each other, don't we, Jeff? And there was actually yes. one at the week. <laughs> there was actually one at this weekend um, that said something about got cheated out of it. I think it was a tournament or something, and they said done really well, but we got cheated out of it in the end. I can't believe that adults would do this sort of thing. I'm like, that's just airing dirty laundry isn't it on social media and if you're that angry about it just keep it to yourself it mm-hmm. can't be helping anything whatsoever I can't remember who put that out there so yeah. I apologise if you're a lot bigger than the me the human brain's just not wired up for this realm and this world is it and mm. I call it toxic comparisons when my wife goes through Instagram and scrolls through because she normally comes out of it thinking oh look at everyone else doing all this and yeah. that's all this is doing isn't it and I much prefer scrolling through a feed and it's, oh, I went to this really nice pub today and we had this lovely I like mine. Food. Yeah. <laughs> but, or the people that are recommending music to listen to or saw a really good film, you should all watch yeah. this. That to me is enjoyable to then, I can go, oh, I can try that one day or I don't really care about other people's perceived successes and things like that. It's it's if if it's something out there that's helping somebody else, then I'm more likely to be interested in it. And it's not a comparison, then, is it? It's not yeah. a co- competition between people. Comparison is the theft of joy. Yes, somebody messaged me that the other yeah. day, and it, it very it's much very is. True. It's absolutely yeah. true. Well, it it is in this situation. I've seen it develop. There's a a lot of parents who spend a lot of match time now filming the game because they want to get a clip of their child scoring or whatever. so they're actually watching their child play through their phone just waiting for that mm-hmm. when they get across the halfway line they push and record and you'll see particularly mums with this one I, I should say um, dads don't normally bother with getting the phones out and filming dads are arguing the ref yeah they're, they're normally <laughs> doing something else they shouldn't but um, particularly with mums just you know just put your phone away and enjoy it I know it's nice to have a few things captured um, it's great if like your club's got a, a Vivo camera so that the whole thing's recorded and they send a link through and then the parents can go and watch and pick out bits from there but if you're spending half the game watching it through your phone then maybe have a little rethink there anything else on that one? God, we went deep there didn't we? 
goodness. Right, whose turn is it to ask now? Me, I think. Go on, number six. Jeff. Christ tired six. me out, that one. Oh, I need a swig of water, Jeff. Well, hit me with another one. Easy one. Don't See blame me if it's not. <laughs> yeah. My son has been showing a keen interest in football and would like to join a team. Have you any advice on what to look for when choosing his first team? Yeah, just got on loads and loads of trials. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, my son is showing a keen interest in football and would like to join a team. Yeah, somewhere where they're happy and they're going to get looked after and it's got a nice environment that's child-centric rather than all about wins at the weekend and we're in this league, we can win this, we can win that. Um, we've won this in the past. Avoid those. Go with a team that say, we do nice family days out, we have barbecues at the end of the season, we go on a little tour. We're more interested in your child than the result of the weekend. Um, and I always quite like a team that's got, it's very difficult, but I do like a team that's got a pathway to sort of all the way through youth football and to maybe under 23s and stuff like that, so that there's a pathway of development there. Otherwise, these kind of manufactured teams that are just looking to recruit the best players, win as many games as possible, they're not bothered about your child's long-term development um, because there's no one for them to go to and play. So I'm a big fan of the little village team and the nice people running it. But I always get asked, what do you know about this team and that team? But unfortunately, a lot of it boils down to the individual manager of that team. So it's very difficult to recommend clubs. Um, so... You really have to do your research, talk to other people that are there, talk to the manager or managers of the different teams you're looking at and get a nice feel for it. Jeffrey, I think I've got very limited notes compared to what you've just said and you've covered everything. I, I just went down. off on one there, didn't I? But I just want to reinforce that I've got written down. Are they nice people that you want impacting or imprinting onto your child, really? Because that's what it all boils down to isn't it everything you've just said there that if they're going to be a part of this club and pick up habits and culture yeah. and values and ethics and is that what you want so much more important things than football exactly but if they're going to be in football then it has to be um have to see whether it's going to have a negative or possible impact on their character and what they can get out of it for for the future nothing impacts on a child i don't think more than sport uh, and the life lessons and the situations and scenarios um, <sighs> lets children you know, sort of drips into them over the years. But Betsy, you'll be able to give yeah, some a I'd... much better in-depth analysis of this one. No, I actually yeah. think you answered it perfectly. To be oh, honest, wow. I think. Didn't even make any notes on that one, uh, right? Yeah. We're going to rip off all from, the notes from the heart. It was a little bit. Yeah, I think it's, it's similar to one of the questions I remember from um, the first episode of actually like where what sort of environment is going to be good for your child to thrive both like on and off the pitch mm -hmm. so I don't really have anything to add other than what you guys have already said I think ha like happiness um depend the only thing I'd probably add is depending on the character of your child maybe consider whether um you know if there's no one that he knows or she knows in that team then is that going to be really challenging that might be really really challenging for certain children so maybe consider like the nuances of your child like whether 
it's really important for them to have maybe a couple of social, existing social connections. Yeah, maybe. so find out where their friends play and yeah. try that for starters. And even and probably the only other thing I'd add is is distance. Like, don't be too tempted to maybe go too far and make it a really onerous thing that you know yeah. we travel, we travel in the car for half an hour to get to get to training or something. Maybe consider things like that that over time might become a bit of a drag. But you know, I think you summed it up excellently. Thank you. But yeah, it's an important one with the travelling time. I know um, players that go an hour, an hour and a half for a grassroots club. Um, and you think, well, you could could spend that time actually with a child with a ball each in the garden mm. would be actually becoming a better footballer than what they're doing, spending that time in the car. Um, That's a really tricky one though, isn't it? Because if it's worth travelling for... Mm. then it's worth travelling for too isn't it like if yeah there's nothing, there's nothing on your doorstep yeah, yeah I, I agree so you just have to wait but if, um, going back to the last question was it with social media if you're just looking at social media posts going oh this looks like a really good place and that looks yeah, like yeah. they win everything and you're getting a bit you want a little bit of what you see of kids holding big trophies and, and, and you're chasing that a little bit even subconsciously you have to be be aware of that um, so yeah I think start where their friends might play and, and and go from there. Happiness is key. Cool. Well answers pairs and Betsy. Right, who answered that one? I'm getting lost now. Uh, it's number seven, so it's my turn, I think. Okay. My child really suffers with low confidence on the pitch. Is there anything I can do to help? Probably lots, Betsy. <laughs> I've written down Betsy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that it's a really straightforward question, but it's actually quite a difficult yeah. one to answer it's because probably a podcast on its own, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, because because confidence is complex. It's what we all want more of, but it is complex. Um, is there anything I can do to help? So as a parent, yeah, you know, not not to discount the skills that parents have in terms of influencing confidence and self belief, but it'd be hard enough for me to potentially help. So yeah. don't don't be too disheartened if you feel like as a parent you're not solving a child's confidence issues. That's you know something that I've trained a long time to be able to do myself. So yeah. um, it's not an easy quick fix. What I have written down is maybe start to to notice or ask when when does this happen? Is there a certain situation that your child finds himself in on the pitch? that they seem to have a dip in confidence or dip in performance or both. How do you know? So are you guessing this? Is this, because mm-hmm. sometimes we can assume that's what's happening. Or are they comparing to other children that look more confident or exactly. impacting on the game more? Is it sometimes just a confidence. body language thing? Yeah. Is it that, because you can have a situation where a player might look like they've lost confidence, but actually they feel fine. Maybe they're just really tired. Maybe it's actually a fitness thing that you're noticing and not a confidence. So maybe be sure about how do you you know or how do you think you know that this is low confidence. Um, In terms of you actually as a parent helping with your child, um, you could could maybe go through a really simple conversational exercise where you ask... um, you know, what gives you confidence and what do you feel like takes away your confidence? And you can open up a conversation there. Um, we have sources of where we get confidence from all of us. Us, us three sat in this room will get our confidence from certain things. Maybe I get mine from Social Jeff. media posts. <laughs> Comparing yourself to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Realising you are capable in comparison. Um, 
So, yeah, like past successes can be a, a good one. That's a really strong one to draw upon. So, yeah. for a silly example, if I asked you, Pez, right now, do you think you could jump and touch a ceiling? The first thing you've done, which the listeners won't be able to have see, have I ever is done that, that look, before? You've looked up and gone, okay, well, could I? Yeah. Have I ever done anything like this before? Did I last week in last week's podcast recording? jump and touch the ceiling so now I'm super confident I can do it we get, we make that decision really quickly based yeah. on whether we have done it before or whether we've done something similar so you could if it if it is a loss of a low confidence on the pitch maybe encouraging your child to see that they have been through these situations before and done well so if it is in certain situations or even if it's the match in general can you kind of tease out you know, what past successes have you already had um, you can use um, maybe and, and this might be a more instinctual one to do is going well you know the coach the coach believes in you or I believe in you or your teammates believe in you and trying to tease out confidence in that way or even setting up conversations potentially if it is you know really low confidence can you maybe have a conversation with the coach where the coach can just express that oh yeah you're, you're great in this situation and maybe give some feedback specifically to try and encourage mm. that so th- that's what I've written down as a summary but it is a it is a complex yeah is question. there a difference between confidence or low confidence and performance anxiety or is it pretty much the same thing because when I think of performance anxiety I think there might be coping strategies that you can come up with performance anxiety but they don't spring to mind when I think of confidence so yeah that makes me think there's a difference. But. There is a difference. Okay. So anxiety, in gen- generally speaking, anxiety is is a is like a fear-based emotion about a future event. So you you technically can't feel anxious in the moment. It's a different emotion. You, you feel anxious about something upcoming that hasn't happened right, yet. Okay. So if you might feel anxious about um, an interview tomorrow, for example, so you're anxious about a future event. And you're telling yourself things that might go wrong, that what that will be yeah. resulting in that anxiety. So often you'll have pre or a player will have pre-performance anxiety or anxiety in the game about you know taking a penalty, for example. Yeah. So anxiety is a future-based emotion, not a current emotion. Oh, I see. So if they're if they're suffering with low confidence, there might be anxiety there in terms of oh I don't know how this match is going to end. Yeah. Or I don't know how I'm going to perform in the second half. But that would be their thinking about things happening in the future. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, very much so. So with performance anxiety, coping strategies can come in with maybe breathing techniques. Yeah. Um, like visualization, maybe. Yeah. Positive thing. One of the most positive things I've done, um, and it's a tip for coaches, is in sessions where everything's a bit flat and you know confidence isn't looking good, I get them all to close their eyes. Mm-hmm. For 30 seconds and either picture their favorite player playing and how they would play or more importantly picture themselves at their very best yeah and how did they feel when they were playing in that moment so that would and, be really great for confidence yeah because that's almost drawing upon role models and past success yeah whereas for anxiety there's a bit anxiety is a bit more complex um, there's also a difference between whether it's nervousness or anxiety. Yeah. Okay. So like nerves and being nervous is quite a healthy emotion. If it's anxiety in its true form, which is like debilitating to performance yeah. and will stop you from performing, um, that's more unhealthy. 
so like that's where a bit more thought reframing whatever your child's telling themselves in that situation that's leading them to be anxious that's the thing you want to change which is super hard for a parent to try and tackle so yeah maybe get some advice on that if it's genuine performance anxiety yeah Yeah. cool um we went very deep there didn't we very quickly because i just wrote down about confidence here um confidence often comes through competence so make sure your child's getting good training and actually developing and improving if they're at a club that's all about results and recruiting other players there can be nervousness and anxiety about your place and getting selected at the weekend Mm. and if if they're not developing then the competence isn't developing um, and so the confidence naturally will be low Um, so improve the competence and the confidence normally is natural byproduct from that Um, we've said it before reinforcing positive behaviors um, and don't overanalyze you know if you're one of these parents that sits in the car journey all the way home saying why did you do this and why did you do that and why didn't you do that cross field pass and I could see from here that this is what you should have done and all that then you know confidence isn't going to be great and uh, always always praise effort and the effort to do something we've talked about that before haven't we mm-hmm. anything else Jeff? no that's again really well answered it's, um, I, I had a goalkeeper once that said something very similar what did you say about confidence and competence competence uh, so um, confidence comes from competence yeah, so, so if you're the, competent at what you're doing you're naturally going to be their more attitude confident. was I'm going to do more training than anybody else in my position so that I'm as competent as I can be and that's going to be what breeds confidence now I'm not saying to a parent go and force your child to do more training than everybody no. else but if you could find a way that they can enjoy practicing what it is that they're not very confident about and feel like they've done more than they had previously, then they might be able to take that as confidence into that game situation. Yeah, communicate, find out what they might not be confident about. It might be a, a certain area of their game that can be easily improved with a bit of practice and a bit of help and advice. Um, so that might be the way forward with it. But yeah, it's, it's, I like that about going to train more than anyone's because even if you've had a bad game, you can always lean back on on that one you know at least I I train and I'll get over this because I'm doing all the right things Usain Bolt when he walked into Olympic Stadium was the most confident person in the stadium because he felt like he'd done more training than everybody else and could enjoy the day wasn't it so. and the hard work's done when no one's yeah. watching really isn't it so. right my turn I've just worked out I'm doing even numbers and you're doing odd ones is that right think so yeah. it's only taken me to question eight to work that out right um my son always gets put in defense for his team he's an under 10 player and plays well there but i'm worried he'll get pigeonholed there and eventually lose interest have you got any advice i'm looking at you jeff because yeah. i asked the question but i mean if if i'm coaching i want my players to experience every position on the field or on the court as much as possible so they gain as much experience but how important is that sorry to cut in Jeff that players experience at all positions and from what age does that suddenly start I've thrown you right under the bus there sorry mate but so what what age does that stop being try every position yeah so when should you think well well this kid's going to be a really top defender or a fallback as a futsal coach now rather than a football coach 
the positions really aren't fixed, yeah, even though one of the positions away. is called fix. If you play a sideways pass, you're more often than not expected to run forward. So you might be the back player in a game and you might end up finishing the attack mm-hmm. more often than not. So you need to get comfortable in all areas of the court on all areas of the pitch, as far as I'm concerned, as a football player, because then you might find out what your true super strengths are and what your superpowers are and that's when you're hone in right now I think I'm this is what I excel at this is where I'm going to play um, Peter Cech played out on pitch until he was 16 and then ended up focusing on being a goalkeeper and everyone probably knows listening what he went on to do in the game of football so um, I, it would be a really frustrating one for me but then also growing up and I probably would agree with this Lots of people would say to me, you should learn the game from the back and then move forward as you as you get older if you want to really understand the game. Um, and I think possibly I might be pigeonholing people here, but people that do have more of a defensive role as they're younger probably do learn the game a little bit more. And they might be the ones that end up going into doing a bit more coaching or being successful coaches because... You know, goalkeepers quite often make really good coaches because they watch the game from the back mm-hmm. and they can see all the patterns and the shapes and everything all the time. So, um, this is a parent asking, though, not a coach, isn't it? So, um, yeah, I would be worried about being pigeonholed in a position because it's going to limit. You might, if you're only playing at the back, you might, because of your experiences, become a very stiff, not very mobile player. You might be a small player that reads the game really well and is very agile. I don't know, but yeah. it could it could be conducive to creating habits that are very hard to break, whereas you want as many experiences as you can get. And I suppose a lot depends whether the child themselves is happy to play in defence. They might love it back there. Maybe it's the parent here thinking, yeah. I don't want my child to play in defence. Going back to the glory and the social media posts we've already talked about because they're not getting any... Um, joy that way um, and, and comparing them to other children so it's it's a difficult one I believe players should have an experience of playing in all positions um, a lot at a younger age in fact when we started a team Jeff for under 7s under 8s we didn't give them positions just used to throw them out there and see how they adapted and then you can learn more about the player and if you learn more about a player naturally then you know what areas you can and help them to do who knows that player might have the freedom to go and go forward and play up, play from the back and end up as the striker you don't know what systems and what ideas that coach has and what they're encouraging players to try so I'd be more worried if they were forced to play as a striker every week and never okay, experienced playing further back because yeah. that way you're only developing one part of the game whereas if you're playing at the back and you did venture forward from the back I agree. So it uh, seems more detrimental that way around if you're always playing in attack how many times have you played with a striker who just would never run back and defend because that's all they've ever done their whole life and that that for me as a player was the most frustrating thing in the world yeah. rather than somebody who's um, more conscious about the team and and helping the team out further back and this actually did happen to my lad he was always played in defence and it was a real compliment to him because he was very comfortable on the ball and the manager wanted to play out from the back so I was trying to explain to him that it's because your manager really trusts you above others because he wasn't a particularly wonderful tackler or, or a good defender but they wanted to build attacks from the back so 
it was quite a big thing but he didn't really want to play there um, and in the end he did leave and he went and joined another team because he wanted to play further forward and then didn't enjoy it then and ended up playing at the back again <laughs> so they maybe not quite sure themselves sometimes but again I've just written one word communicate so communicate with the manager and find out why he's playing there um, and communicate with your child if they enjoy it and whether they'd like to try other positions um, and then that seems like a good starting point to me and, and go from there so you shot yourself in the foot by letting him make his own decisions is what you're saying God, it's a complicated game this football lark isn't it and it's different as a coach as a parent wearing two different hats Yeah. but yeah I, I did the typical dad thing and let my child decide what he wanted to do and um, he did and ended up playing at the back anyway but now he's been looked after by Jeff at West's Footstock Club. So what could possibly so go no, wrong, Betsy? No problems. We'll, yeah, hopefully not get any further questions. <laughs> That's true. That that was a very coachy question. But have you got anything on that, Betsy? Um, no, probably. I, I like your point about maybe just communicating with the coach. Um, it does happen sometimes, and you know, I think we said this again in episode one, where coaches have a lot of. Um, no, actually, I might be thinking of a different conversation. But if you think of the amount of players that coaches have to maybe handle communication with you know there might there might there could be a situation where the coach doesn't really have much awareness that he hasn't really moved him out of position so a, an initial conversation is going to be helpful i think yeah and there's it's a lot different playing in defense nowadays than many years ago when i was a lad if you played at the back it's because you could only head it and you could only kick it far or you were brave or a mixture of all three mm. now play at the back at a level you have to be very very technically good yeah um, because most teams like to play from the back and, and play good possession based football mm. and a lot of teams like to press so if a team's pressing you you have to have a, a player that's comfortable on the ball and is not going to panic so it's a lot different game now than it was years ago so be proud of your child whatever position they play in uh, especially as you said they play well there so mm. long may that continue Right, Jeff, it's an odd number, so that must be you. Oh, it's a big one as well. Yeah, sorry, mate. <laughs> uh, deep me breath. Read it, Jeff. Now I've got this, yeah. Betsy. <laughs> this is one job. <laughs> My son loves to play a variety of different sports. Football is his favourite, and we, his parents, are wondering if he should start specialising in football and dropping some other activities if he's going to progress further. We've noticed that the teammates he has that only play for football tend to be more dominant players and we're worried he might get left behind. He is an under-11 player. Any advice would be greatly appreciated. Cool. Well, I'm going to jump straight in there and say there was a study done a few years ago now when I was working at Southampton Football Club where they noticed that most of the children at the academy were... Um, specialising in football and didn't play much of other sports but yet when they did a study on Premier League players actual players um, the majority have come from a multi-sport background so then a lot of these clubs started thinking how are we going to get around this and some of the clubs even started putting on sort of multi-sports evenings when they played other sports which is a little bit manufactured but I like the um, the theory behind it um, so you'll probably know a lot more about this than, than I do, Betsy. Um, yeah, I, th I think even if you go and watch some 
football academy sessions, even like in their professional phase, they use aspects of other sports in training anyway. I think this probably relates all the way back to question three with the um, handball as well. Yeah. There are there's so many parallels or or different attributes you can get from other sports um, that are helpful in terms of whether that's movement patterns, um, just just different things. Uh, my my instinct would probably be. Um, you know he's under eleven. That's pretty young still. Yeah. You know, allow allow him to experience loads of other sports because from a, from a life perspective, it may be that he continues to play football for years and years and years, in whatever capacity that is, recreationally, whether he's competing, whatever that might be. But it also might be that some of the other sports that he's currently playing will form part of his exercise behaviours as an adult. And if he drops them under 11, maybe then he loses out on different social interactions, different experiences older in, as he as he gets older. Um, it's nice just to have a break as well. Yeah. It's just football, football, football all the time. There's a, there's a lot of... Can play some tennis. Yeah, and I think there's, there's so many other benefits to playing other sports, like socially and like physically, technically, tactically as well. You can understand loads from other sports and the demands and the rules and everything else. I think as well, um, when I've worked in football academies, sometimes even, and I've worked mainly with the older players, but there's usually, if you know, say your son is picked up by an academy and the, the time restriction that you then have for the amount of training they have to do, the commitment that's then involved, it might be that you have to then drop other sports because of time commitment. Yeah, that's a big problem. Um, but... Uh, even in even in cricket, when I've worked with um, young like male cricketers, some of them are still playing other sports until they kind of get to a point where they might they might have to choose because you know cricket and hockey are now on the same evening or you know whatever whatever yeah. it might be. I would say at that age, unless there's a um, unless he's actually missing out on training sessions or things like that by doing other sports, and it's it's creating problems in that way. I'd say it'd be beneficial to carry on playing different sports yeah and if this is coming because you're comparing your child to other children we've talked about that mm. at length already um don't do it your child's on their own journey um which is is very different and i i do agree that the kids who play four or five six times a week do tend to be appear to be getting ahead but um it's not the case and in fact some of the best players we've ever had and go on have come from a tennis background or have played tennis alongside football and martial arts which I've always found very very interesting but players that have done those different activities alongside their football for some reason um, have, uh, have tended to go on and be really really good football players and it should be quite a natural thing when they get to an age that they want to decide maybe for themselves um, it's difficult for a kid like you say if it, something clashes you know, they want to play for a certain team or a certain team's training night moves and it clashes with their boxing or something and then it's like, well, you've got to choose now, son. And mm. It's a big ask for a kid, isn't it? Anything from you, Jeff? Unlike question two, where I understood why you sat Betsy across the table from you because you had different opinions. Um, I think we're all in agreement on this. I've written down playing a variety of sports is probably far better in the long run. Um, there can be so much benefit for transference of balance coordination. I think um, they call them crossover sports. Cross, yeah, confidence, 
socially, technique. There's, there's just so much that, I mean, Betsy covered it all as well. Um, like, an example would be cricket might look completely different to football, but if you're playing a front foot drive, you've got to get your foot to the pitch of the ball. And that's just like striking a moving football. Uh, you get in line with the ball and your foot lands next to the ball. And if it's too far away, you're off balance. If it's too close, it's stuck under your feet almost. So there'll be loads of things that don't even look like they'll transfer, but they really will. And the, the tennis and the martial arts, one came with really good discipline and balance and coordination. Lateral movement. And the other one from tennis came with that amazing lateral movement, yeah. side wave movement, could, so could drop the shoulder. The knees were bent. They're on the balls of their feet all the time. Reactions. So the technical benefits could far outweigh just doing football and and what you might lose from only doing football will be far greater than the benefits you could could get. Yeah, and you, you, your child might lose interest in football, they might get an injury, which means they can't play football. Um, and if it's only ever football, like we've said earlier, and their identity's entwined with it, and they've got nothing else, that's a big, big life change. But if they've got golf to fall back on or they play a bit of cricket or something like that. And those two sports, the concentration levels will be totally different things and it could really help. Whereas football's quite a fast paced, so is football, isn't it? So like if that's all they're doing then concentration outside of sport might not be as good as if you find another sport where it's I was it's all a big football, part of football, the game. football all the way through and you know, a lot of my friends were off playing golf and things and I wasn't interested and now they go on these wonderful weekend breaks and things and I don't get invited because <laughs> I'm rubbish. Yep. So Not even as a caddy, Pez. I never thought about yeah. that. Carrying their beers, probably. <laughs> might get away you with don't that. not get invited because you're rubbish at golf, Pez. <laughs> no, I know. I'm just kidding myself, aren't I? But an invite would be nice. Anyway, um, right, shall we move on? Yeah. This is the last one. Question number 10. It's an even number. Right. If stroke when does coaching your own child become a negative influence rather than than a positive one guys I think you're the only one that can really answer this one aren't you Pez? oh what because I have a son yeah um, well I've never um, managed him right. so he's never been in a team that I've managed which is a completely different dynamic I've coached him um, and it is difficult um, what I've found not just from myself but from seeing other people because it's very common obviously normally it's a kid's mum or dad that's running the team most of the time. Um, I've noticed sometimes they try and be fair to everybody, but they actually um, are more unfair or more harder on their own child um, because they don't want to be seen to be having any favouritism, um, which can be pretty tricky. Um, I've put though that it can be very positive it can be a good bonding experience with your child but as with everything it's got to be done in the right way um, my advice is when at football be the coach and when at home be mum or dad um, and don't blur the lines so when you're at when you're at home your mum or dad don't ask your child for any advice or say how do you think little Timmy played at the weekend you know I'm thinking of switching him to left wing would you be happy with that uh, mm. don't don't get involved in tactical conversations with your child um, unless maybe under 18s or something like that but even then just think you're the coach coach 
mm. when you're at home, your mum and dad. Um, and other little things that you might want to be aware of, aware of is siblings and other family members. If everything just revolves around you and your son or daughter's football, everything from your social media posts to getting an early night on a Friday night and you can't do anything at the weekend because Tiny Tim's got football on Sunday or a tournament coming and everything revolves around it, you can have other family members that feel a little bit left out. So try and include them or make sure that you have special family time put aside where you spend time with just the other members of your family. And check in with them. So why don't you just ask your child how they feel about you being their manager and do that regularly and take on their feedback and if they're enjoying it or what parts of it that they find difficult because they will um, and what parts they enjoy and uh, I think if you've got that good communication with them it can be really special if I'm honest I've seen it with a few you know I've got Rio Aggie had a real special childhood because of all the um adventures they went on on tours and things like that and really bonded them together but I've also seen it the other way where they've absolutely fallen out and the kid hates football and doesn't want to play again and it, it can be a bit of a nightmare that way again I've gone on one again haven't I yeah it's good though oh thank you Jeff maybe we should start a podcast <laughs> Betsy anything on that um I think probably the only insight that I've ever seen with this is at an older level where a manager is managing their child who is effectively an adult as yeah. well um and it is a, it is a tricky but i think even at that age there is still the people are looking out for well how does he treat his son how is he is there favoritism does it actually go the other way that uh, the coach or the manager is trying so hard not to be biased towards their son that they're actually treating them differently rather than treating them the same um so i think it, 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 with regard to the when when does coaching your own child become a negative influence rather than positive i don't think it has to be that way i don't think there's a scenario where you know time elapses and now it's going to be really tricky i think there's probably there's probably phases if you were coaching your son or daughter for a period of time from under nine all the way through to under 23s there's probably going to be different stages along the way that are trickier than others. Yeah. Um, just as, you know, the teenage mind develops more than anything else and how you adapt and adjust to that as well as a parent. So I, I don't think there's a ticking time bomb of if you're going to do this, you can only do it to under 11s and then you really got to pass them off somewhere else. I th- and I think it's just maybe staying aware of if it is becoming not not positive in terms of the interactions you're having... Then, then maybe considering whether it's the right dynamic for you and your child because you don't want it impacting on the child's football and you also don't want it impacting on your relationship with the child just at home because that's the most because it can put thing. a strain on both so yeah, yeah that so would be my keep reviewing it yeah open lines of communication there to help you review it and, yeah and, act and I do see it a lot actually where um, parents will step down and just say just want to be a dad for now just mm-hmm. want to be a mum and enjoy it again yeah um, and like I say but and Make sure you're fair to everyone in the team and uh, in particular your own child because they will be feeling pressures that, that you don't know about. And, you know, I've seen parents leave their child on the bench more than anyone else because they know it's an easier thing to do because then they don't have to deal with other parents saying, you know, why was my lad on the bench today, etc., etc. So 
be fair to everyone, including your own child, um, and, and try and enjoy every moment of it along the way. Jeff? Um, I'm just thinking back to when I did play youth football, which is a little while ago, and time's moved on, but um, every team I played for, the, the manager had a son in the team, I think, um, and the one that I spent most of the time at, he, he could kind of ask his son to do a few things that the others wouldn't do so it might have looked like sitting on the bench but for him he was like the midfield enforcer that would run around putting in the tackles and winning the ball back and um, probably didn't get enough praise for it for what he did for the team because dad was the coach but um, so there might be you because you've got a special relationship you might be able to ask the child to do things that others you wouldn't ask I don't know because I've obviously not ever coached my own child, have I? But I do coach both my nephews, actually, under 15s, and if I'm their lift home after a game, I definitely won't be talking about what's happened in the session or And you go match. back to being uncle. Yeah, that's back to Uncle Jeff. That's then. the key, I think. Yeah. Um, I've seen a lot over the years, parents giving their children trophies at the end of the season, presentations, and that must be really, really difficult, because if you generally believe that your child deserves manager's player of the year mm. um, then they should have it but yeah. everyone you know their first instinct is going to be well that's because it's your son we've seen this quite a, a few times I don't know what the answer is for that Yeah, that, just to be honest that's um, one thing that my manager back in the day would never have done for his own son so he probably missed out on several awards if, if it wasn't his dad was the coach that's for sure well, I hope a few players all rallied around him and voted for him for players player. No, we all voted for ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> As is always the way. Uh, what a great place to end this episode. Um, just to remind you that this was brought to you by Dimensions Carpentry and Construction, a friendly family-run business for turnkey refurb projects. So another one in the can, guys. Loved it. Yeah, yeah I enjoyed that one. Good. And uh, don't forget, football's not that important, but children are. We'll see you next time.